I think one of the most difficult journeys any of us embark on in our lives is the journey to find acceptance. To find acceptance for who we are, exactly as we are, where we are. Uh, and that includes from ourselves, each of us from our own self. Um, I know that I have spent uh, a long life looking to find acceptance for who I am as a person inside, not for who you might think I am, not for Pastor James or for Scholar James or for Preacher James or for Prayer James or for uh, Father James or any of those other titles you might attach to me, but for the person that deep inside I am. Uh, and as a person who has sought that kind of acceptance, uh, and, and have found it now in my life. I more or less, there are moments still in my own life when I don't accept myself, but for the most part, I feel like I've found acceptance, the acceptance that I need, the ultimate acceptance that comes from one that's beyond me. I know that beyond what I think or what I even believe, God's love for me reaches to the depths of my very soul right where I am, uh, just as I am for who I am. Um, but what's interesting about the word acceptance is there are two ways to look at it. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. But first, I wanted to share with you a story of Jesus uh, that he tells. Um, uh, well, it's an action, and then he tells a parable. And this is what... Uh, he was invited to dinner at the table. We're at the table. It's a Jesus at the table story. Jesus also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a dinner and invited many. At the time for dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to the slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you have ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the road and the lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited to taste will taste my dinner. 
This is a word from the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is eating dinner at somebody's house. Somebody's invited him, uh, and it's an honor. You know, they've honored him by inviting him to dinner. He was, he was, you know, he was pretty popular. We like to point to the cross and the fact that he ended his life, you know, sort of on the outskirts of reality. But for the period of time that he was mostly doing his ministry until about the last few days of his life, he was pretty popular with the common everyday people. And because there were more well-to-do people who were at least intrigued by what he said and wanted to appear to the common everyday people as though they accepted him, they invited him to a meal. And so he regularly found himself being entertained at a place. Now, what's interesting about first century habits is that they haven't changed all that much, which is to say, we invite people over oftentimes imagining that they'll be able to invite us back over. Come on over for dinner. Maybe you can invite me over for dinner some other time. That it's a tit for tat, uh, an exchange, something that uh, I give you, but you give me back. You know, and as long as there is, and if you look at it, it happens in political functions, it happens in religious functions sometimes, it happens among the rich, certainly, it even happens among the poor although in different kinds of ways where they put together all their resources so that there's something to be shared. But the truth of the matter is, nothing or very little has changed since the first century. You invite people over that you want to invite people, people who are like you, people who you expect will respect you and maybe do business with you. It's rare that we find people who just invite anyone to to dinner Uh, particularly if there are people who aren't quite in the same strata socially as they are. Uh, That's rare. So then, as if to uh, point that out, Jesus tells them, you know, you need to invite people who can't pay you back, that you're really giving a gift to. Because if you're not just giving that as a gift, it's really, why invite them to dinner anyway? It's just a show, a pretense. And by the way, Let's just be honest. Jesus is not at all about pretense. In fact, Jesus doesn't like a show. He's very unimpressed by shows. God eternally is unimpressed by shows, completely. Don't do your religious shows, he says. You know, don't walk around in sackcloth and ashes and weeping. What I really want is your heart to be broken open with love for me. You know, that comes to us you know, from the Hebrew Bible. So here we come to the New Testament where Jesus says, listen, it's, it's easy enough for you to invite people who are going to pay you back, but what about everybody else? And then he tells a parable of the master who invites the king, whoever it is, who invites a group of people to come to dinner. And to a person, every single one of them makes an excuse about why they can't come. I bought a piece of land. I got to go look at it. You know, because I got to go admire the land. I can't come to dinner. I bought some, you know, I bought a fast Maserati. I got to go drive that thing. I got to go see what it's like. You know, it's not that much different than, you know, five yoke of oxen. Uh, I've got to go, uh, I've got to go watch my new uh, 75 inch 
uh, television set. I don't have time to come to dinner. You know, I might miss out on one of the pixels, uh, one of the many pixels that I got on my screen. I'm sorry, I can't come over. I've got, uh, I've got to check out my new laptop. It's wicked fast. Wicked, wicked fast. Got to, look, got to use my new phone. Whatever it is, there's, there's an excuse. And the first century is no different than now, except that they didn't have the technology to use as the, you know, the tool why they couldn't come. So the master says, I want you to invite everybody. Now, we don't know if it was the master's intent all along to invite everybody, but he refuses to let the table be empty. That much we know. So he compels everyone, come on, come on down, because there's plenty, there's plenty for you. This is a table of abundance. I want you to come here because you're going to be accepted and received just as you are, right where you are. No strings attached. This table at St. James, when we invite you to come to this table, now you don't have to come, and we say that every week. Or at least I, I say that every week. I try to remember to say it. Come if you will, because you're invited and welcome. But also know that if you don't want to come, you don't have to. There's no compulsion for you to come. But know that the invitation stands and that if you accept the invitation, your life will be changed. Not because you have some really good bread that I baked in the oven this morning, but because you will feed on God's acceptance, God's love for you, and it will change you from the inside out. You know, every once in a while, I sometimes more often than once in a while, I look at what the church is what it's become over 2,000 years, you know, what it became 1,500 years ago when it, you know, decided to throw its lot in with power. Um, I look at the church and I wonder if we really get that our job is not to be the moral police of the world. Our job is just to love. That's our whole job. Your whole job, my whole job is to love. Now that sounds... Ah, that sounds very nebulous and very easy to do, except it's not. I bet you without even blinking an eye, you can think of somebody you don't even like, let alone love. What are you talking about, James? What about those people that attacked us on 9-11? I'm supposed to love them, too. I may not like what they did at all. In fact, I may be abhorred by it. It, I find it abhorrent. But I'm called to love everyone. That is my job. That is your job. And it's not, you can't substitute me because you pay me a salary to go out and do the loving for you. Your job, your job, your job is to love. Without boundaries, without borders, without concern about what religious background the person comes from or none at all, our job as the church is simply to love all that God loves. And guess what that is? Everything. God made it all. God loves it all. Our job is to love what God loves, and that's everything. The world looks at us, and they, you know, it's that whole scene from, well, maybe you never, maybe you never saw the... Uh, 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 
the Heath Ledger uh, movie, uh, A Knight's Tale, but uh, it keeps coming up. You've been measured and found wanting. I think oftentimes when we look at the church, it's measured and found wanting. Because we've decided which people we're willing to love and which ones we aren't. Well, we don't love people like that. We're a democratic church. We don't love Republicans. We're a Republican church. We don't love Democrats. They're ungodly. We're, uh, you know, we're a United States church. We don't love British churches or churches from somewhere else, anywhere else. If that's the case, then we don't measure up. Now, I know it's a, long, it's, it's a long way to go, and it's a big thing to ask. It's big. To love the people that somebody else says to you is your enemy? But what is it that makes us enemies one of another? Is it skin color? Is it nationality? Is it religion? It's an illusion we've created in our own mind that there is an enemy of us out there. An illusion. And we live into it by hating whoever the enemy is. Hating with a passion. When we are called to love. And if we got that part right, the world really would be changed. We talk about being bridge builders at the intersections of everyday life. But how are we bridge builders? By loving. Loving. Loving the unlovable. Loving those who are different than we are. Loving those who somebody else tells you are unacceptable. I don't care who they are. I don't care who tells you they're unacceptable. I don't care if in one sermon six months ago I told you they were unacceptable. I was wrong. We are called with an absolute certainty to be the lovers of what God loves, and that's everything. From the blades of grass in the front yard, every rock and bit of asphalt, to the people who park partially in front of the driveway into the worship center, the ones that I love to be angry with. We are called to love them. And until the church gets that right, I'm not sure the church is going to really make that much of a difference in the world. We might have lots more people coming sometimes. We might, you know, take in lots of money and pay all our bills and have lots of followers everywhere. But in the end, if we're not loving, we might as well call it quits. Because we're not the church. And it's not God's table then. It's my table. It's the really cool table that I look at and I say, wow, the guy who made this for us from the branches of a, of a lightning-struck, dead poplar tree who put this all together made that table for me, made that table for St. James. When in fact, that table belongs to God. I don't get to decide who comes and who doesn't. That is not my job. No matter what the United Methodist Church may tell you about what my job is, I don't get to decide who comes to the table. Only you get to decide. And you get to decide whether you come, and that's it. We will not, as long as I am your pastor, ever turn anyone away from this table.
no matter who they are or where they come from. At least I hope. Amen. <laughs> At least I hope. This is a table of acceptance. We don't invite people to come because they're worthy of the meal. We invite them to come because they're loved. I say this over and over again, and many folks in the world maybe get tired of me saying, and in all honesty, I'll just tell you, I don't really care <laughs> whether you're tired of it or not, because it's true. And that is that you are infinitely precious. I'm infinitely precious. And you are unconditionally loved. I'm unconditionally loved. And there will never be another instance of you or me in this eternal universe, ever. You are the only you, and God made you because God loves you and accepts you just as you are. God made you to be the one who is accepted as you in this world. So I want to invite you today to accept God's invitation to come to the table. And even if you are unwilling to come to this table, that you come to a place of accepting that you are loved and everyone else is. That you accept that truth. And that by accepting that truth, you, you live the acceptance that we see in the story Jesus tells. Everyone's accepted at the table. So accept the invitation to accept everyone just as they are, right where they are, and love. Because then you're the church. Then you really are the church, right where you are. And so am I. And so am I. So let's be the church. Because the table, the table is a place of acceptance and is open to us all. And it ought to be not just for this table, but every table that any one of us ever sits at table of acceptance. It's time for us to pray. I'm very fond of that praying thing. And Linda is bringing me a list of prayer requests. Oh, this is good. And of course, I've completely forgotten uh, the other one I was going to do, but that's okay. It'll come to... Oh! I want us to keep praying for our siblings in Afghanistan, even the ones that got out, you know, because they haven't gotten all the way out. They've gotten out of Afghanistan. Um, I want them to find a fuller, freer, more beautiful life. And I want us to pray for them. I want us to pray for Adrian. He's uh, the quarterback at West Springfield High School. He broke his ankle during Friday's game, uh, and he was being scouted by colleges. That always, um, you can't scout much when your ankle is broken. I want to pray for David and, and Donnie. Uh, David is set to return home in two weeks. He's been in and out of the hospital, and now he's in rehab, rebuilding his strength. They sent him home. It's our propensity in the medical system sometimes sent him home before he was really able and capable of being home, even with help. And so 
Uh, he's getting stronger, and he's watching online. I know, because I greeted him just a little while ago. And I'm a little belated in wishing him a happy birthday, which was this past Monday. Uh, so now many of you know Janet Kelly, who, who has been coming back in person since we came back, she and her husband Dan. She had hip replacement uh, surgery this week on Monday. I uh, texted with her on Thursday, and she seemed to be doing okay. She said she was that Dan was turning out to be a pretty good caretaker, which uh, I, I don't know if that was surprising to her, but maybe. <laughs> maybe it was. Uh, Sharon, poor Sharon, uh, broke her foot. She broke a bone in her foot, um, and so she's in a boot for six weeks. Um, so Bill is here by himself. Um, uh, sans Sharon because so let's be in prayer for all these folks uh, who are uh, seeking recovery uh, who need healing uh, but also uh, you know even as I pray for and think about uh, folks like Sharon and folks like Janet I, I think that in addition to praying for their recovery I want to give thanks for their caretakers in life for the Bills and Dans who love them and care for them. You know, we, don't we all wish we had someone who cared for us right where we are, just as we are? Hey, went with the message, church. Be that. Uh, it's a big world. There's a lot of things going on. More than 670,000 Americans have died from COVID-19. More than four million worldwide I don't know if we know the real count. I, I want us to be in prayer. I never could have thought that a pandemic would be as divisive as it is, but I guess it was as divisive 100 years ago and 500 years ago in parts of Europe as well. So I want us to pray. I want us to pray for the things that divide us, that they will fall down like the walls of Jericho. We'll begin in a moment of silent prayer. I'll pray out loud for us, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let's enter into a moment of silence. We know even in our silence that the earth itself cries out to you in praise and glory. We know that in these moments of silence, our hearts can hear your most original, your most original language, God, the language of silence. We pray, O oh God, as your people, as we come before you this day, that we would be your people, that we would learn with each passing day, as hard as it may be, to love all you love, which is all. There is nothing apart from your love. If your love were to cease for us, we would cease to be. We give you thanks. We give you thanks and praise 
that Malika and Mullah Muhammad Daoud and the others got a flight out of Qatar, to Qatar. And we pray for the seven in the same group that didn't get the flight out. And we pray for all the others left behind who might be unknown to us, who are struggling to make their way out. Because there's no one who is unknown to you. And so we hold them up to you as your people. We pray for the quarterback at uh, West Springfield High School and for his broken ankle. We pray for Sharon and her broken foot. We pray for Janet and her hip replacement, David and his recovery. We pray for those who care for them, who look after them, because it's in looking in those places that we see who you are, the helper who comes alongside us, the one who carries us, the one who loves us as we are. Thanks for making us, making us us. Thanks for your infinite love that just is beyond our comprehension. And yet you pour it out still. Thanks for the gift of your son, the gift of life, the gift of accepting us. Maybe people who would be outsiders at the table, you invited to be at the table and to share, thanks. Thanks for accepting us right where we are, for making us to be us. We lift all of this to you in the precious name of your son, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. And we pray now the prayer that Jesus modeled for us, saying, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. As you all know, one of the things we do every week when we gather at this table is to share this meal and to offer, whether you're in person or online, the opportunity for you to share in the meal, even if it's symbolically in whatever it is you're eating at home. You may lift up the bread or its representative when you're home by yourself or with the rest of your folks when I lift up the bread. Uh, it doesn't have to be simultaneous to my lifting up the bread because, you know, God's bigger than simultaneity, simultaneity. Uh, God is bigger than all of that. When I lift up the cup, you can lift up your cup. And it can be for you communion. You can experience the power of God's presence in every moment, in every breath. And in every bite you consume at every table where there is acceptance. As we celebrate this every week, this table is open. It's an absolutely open table. That means you are welcome to come and share this food with us, if you will. The invitation is for you. The same is true at home. 
If you want this to be communion for you, you make it communion. If you're still just drinking your cup of coffee and eating your Danish, just keep doing it. And that's fine too. Here in person, you can come or you can not, and it's all right. Now, at the same time we serve communion, we receive our morning offering. Uh, you can uh, put money in the offering plate. You can give online. You can also uh, text to give. You can order from our Amazon wish list, and stuff will get delivered to us happily at our house and be delivered here to be given out at the West End Food Pantry. The last thing you need to know is how we do communion. Uh, the way we do communion here in the building is only currently with bread. We don't give the cup. It's a shared cup. We don't want to pass things around, so it'll just be bread. When you come forward for communion, hold out your hands cupped. I will place the bread in your, uh, in your hand. You may take the bread and eat it. Uh, pull down your mask. Take and eat it if you wish. This is a moment for you to reflect. Maybe you are totally living out the love of God in every single way, and you are the church. Maybe not. And you could do better. And you know what? God can help you do better. So maybe this is a moment to say, God, I need your help. I'm having a tough time loving everybody. Heck, I'm having a tough time accepting and loving myself. And I believe God's power will help you. God's strength will help you in that step. You know, in the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he got together with his closest friends. And they shared a meal together. Now, oftentimes we see that picture and it's all the male disciples, but I'm convinced there were more people there than that. Maybe they could only fit the men in the picture. It was probably the women who were taking the picture and painting it, uh, you know. But in any case, as they sat at that table, much as we're about to gather at the table, Jesus did something unusual. He took bread from the table, he gave thanks for the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said... I want you to take and eat this. This is my body and it's broken for you. Do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. Also after supper, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So it is in remembrance of a God who accepts you just as you are right where you are, who loves you and made you to be you, that we come to this table asking that God would make this be for us, his body and blood, that we would be for the world, lovers of that which God loves. With every breath we take and every thought we have and every uh, person we touch and listen to, However, even if we fail, all of us redeemed by his blood, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to come forward, those of you who are here, to share in communion. And at home, go ahead and eat communion yourself as you are. <laughs>